Once upon a time, a large multi-cabined ship set sail across the ocean. A passenger whose cabin is on the lowest level of the ship decided to dig a hole in the floor of their cabin. Sure enough, the ship began to sink. When the other passengers realized what was happening, they rushed individual's cabin, and together they yelled, what the hell are you doing? The passenger looked up from the hole and simply said, this cabin is mine. I paid for it. I can do whatever I want. And promptly, the ship sank completely. Good morning. I recently read this Talmudic parable from the Jewish tradition. Okay, I embellished that one line, but you get the point. It is, of course, hyperbolic, but it frames some of the uncomfortable truths that Jesus calls out in the reading we just heard from the Gospel of Luke. Specifically, these three things. Being a disciple isn't about having it our own way all the time, if ever, frankly. Becoming a follower of Christ involves surrender, costly choices to sacrifices. And finally, growing in faith challenges our desire to either control or simply drift along. It seems our early ancestors in the faith were not so different from us. They, too, were all into the experience of Jesus the healer, Jesus the savior, Jesus the friend, but maybe not so much Jesus, the radical, countercultural Jewish rabbi and prophet who barges into our private cabins and asks the impudent, unbearable question, what the hell are you doing? It has been said before, but I will repeat and concur, Jesus would have made a terrible pastor at times. And thank God, really, thank God, because who doesn't need a little wake-up call out of our otherwise maybe complacent lives from time to time to shake us up, to bang on the doors of our private cabins, if you will, and pry us off of dead center. But still, we are left to wonder what in God's name was Jesus thinking when he said these things to, did you hear it, a very large crowd. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. He also said, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then, if those two nuggets of warning weren't dire enough, he seems to seal the deal with the third. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Okay. So this morning, Jesus gets many points for truth-telling and authenticity. But really, 
But then I remember. I remember that Jesus never came to build the church. Jesus never came to start his own denomination or even garner a bucket load of disciples. In fact, this is the morning we hear almost the opposite. And still, I believe in my heart of hearts, this is good news. It's good news because time and time again, Jesus reminds us both in his words and maybe even more importantly in his actions and in his life, that if we choose to follow Jesus, we are choosing to relinquish the fantasy that this life is ours alone, or rather, that it's my cabin, I paid for it. And if, and that if, and when we do that, in ways big and small, we become inherited, inheritors of a lineage of love and grace and mercy that are limitless and always present for the noticing. Not to be earned or won, but simply to be received and then shared. Surrendering to this life of faith is so elusive, though, when we try to explain by the world's standards of winning and achieving, because at its core, it is actually in losing our lives that we become a part of something vastly more magnificent. At the end of the day, no matter how we slice it, being a disciple means there is no my cabin. We are all of us, bidden or unbidden, aware or unaware, accepting or impervious, members of a beautifully and delicately balanced, intricately woven, mind-blowing, interdependent ecosystem in which everything and everybody, whoever was and is to come, is connected now and for eternity. Maybe the cost of discipleship can be understood as making the choices to step out of our cabins on a regular basis and realize that, in fact, we are on God's ship, if you will. And now, everything we do, every choice we make, every tribalism we cherish, every idol we worship, every possession we hoard affects the entire vessel, everyone and everything. If this is the reality we choose to embrace, then there is no us and them. The ship of Christian discipleship, if you will, is just we. There is only we, a wholly infused we, more inclusive, more enormous, more consequential and fragile than we could possibly wrap our heads and hearts around. Becoming disciples means we are indeed responsible for that we, whether we want to be or not. To say this teaching is hard, of course, is a laughable understatement. That must have been why Jesus advises his listeners to stop and count the costs before saying yes. A careful builder, he says, never breaks ground without taking a good, hard look at her budget. A wise general doesn't declare war unless they are sure that their troops are equipped and battle-ready. What I hear him saying through these examples is a life of choosing faith should be no different. Discipleship is not a weekend activity or a vacation destination. 
Discipleship is a full body, mind, and soul endeavor that requires a lifetime effort, a lot of surrender, and a constant reordering of our identities, our priorities, our preferences, and our proclivities. It requires hating. When we say that word to my family, we always say that. Hating is a strong word. It requires hating anything that is too narrow, too exclusive, too insular, and learning instead to love what is broad and inclusive and boundless. Each of us have had moments in our lives when that challenge has felt real. A time when something or someone we hold most dear is either taken away or changed because of how we believe we are being called to reorder and realign who God is calling us to be. Transformation and wholeness is always God's desire for us. And yes, love always wins. And still, truth be told, the process is sometimes really hard and sometimes really painful. I had one of those moments in a big way on the eve of my ordination to the priesthood 14 years ago. The night before, I realized in a way that truly startled me. I was about to lose or surrender many of the things that I had held most dear up to that point and in fact had worked my whole lifetime to achieve. You see, as a woman, I had always valued my ability in the institution of the church to make choices for myself, to find a place, to set my own priorities, to determine my own future, and to assert myself and my independence. When I was going to kneel in front of the bishop and have hands placed on my head, all of that independence goes away. In other words, I was, after years of study and prayer and training, about to give up my beautiful and safe cabin on the boat forever. Unless you think that only happens for those of us wearing a collar, think again. The invitation to leave your cabin actually starts at the moment of baptism, when we or others on our behalf make our baptismal promises. It also happens in all the vocations of our lives. And by that I mean the places in our lives where we pledge and promise to die to self, even just a little, in order to live into a truth of who we are being called to be, through a job, a spouse, being a parent, being a sponsor, volunteering as a tutor, a mentor, and of course, yes, being a servant leader here at Trinity. So again, if Jesus was trying to increase his following that day, this little mini lecture on discipleship might not have been the best idea as a growth strategy. But then again, neither his entire ministry for that perspective. But once we sink into the lessons he offers time and time again, sitting and eating and walking with him as he makes his way to the cross. We can't help but see that he, his metrics were never maybe our metrics of success. He seemed to live and then die 
simply and profoundly to get us to step out of our private cabins and then live deeply connected lives. So how do we do that? Really, how do we walk out that door today and start doing that or continue doing that? The only real answer I know, day by day, one step at a time. On good days, on really good days, I find myself aware of my need to keep working on letting go and coming out of my cabin. That other ship sailed a long time ago. And on the other days, I rely on my companions. I rely on my companions, my friends, my wife, people who keep me honest, people like you, to carry a heavier portion of the load until I wake up and remember to help. I want to end this morning with a beautiful prayer poem by Methodist pastor and writer Ted Loader. It has an apropos title. Prime off of dead center. May this poem indeed inspire us to keep coming out of our cabins a little bit more every day. O persistent God, deliver me from assuming your mercy is gentle. Pressure me that I may grow more human, not through the lessening of my struggles, but through an expansion of them that will undam me and unbury my gifts. Deepen my hurt until I learn to share it and myself openly and my needs honestly. Sharpen my fears until I name them and release the power I have locked in them and they in me. Accentuate my confusion until I shed those grandiose expectations that divert me from the small, glad gifts of the now and the here and the me. Expose my shame where it shivers, crouched behind the curtains of propriety, until I can laugh at least through the common frailties and failures. Laugh my way toward becoming whole. Deliver me from just going through the motions, and wasting everything I have, which is today, a chance, a choice, my creativity, your call on my life. Oh, persistent God, let how much it all matters pry me off dead center. So if I am moved inside, to tears, to sighs, or screams, or smiles, or dreams, they will be real. And I will be in touch with who I am, and who you are, and all those who are my brothers and sisters. May it be so.